We are in a series talking about relationships, and uh, this is our second to last week, so next week will be our final week in this series. And we're talking about the skills that are really just necessary, the skills that are needed to have healthy relationships, the skills that are needed to be able to have loving community, the skills that you need in your marriage if you're married, the skills that you need in your family, the skills that you need in your friendships to be able to really thrive, to be able to really say, man, I, I'm able now to love people in a better way, to help people in a better way. And so we've talked about conflict, and we've talked about uh, being able to help each other just with practical needs. We've talked about uh, helping each other grow in a spiritually mature kind of way. We've, we've talked about uh, how to live with people that are different from us, all sorts of, uh, of different things. And so if, um, if this is maybe your first time here, I would encourage you to, to go back and take a look at some of those online. But, but today we're going to talk about the reality that every single one of us suffer. You and me all suffer. We suffer. We go through hard times, and that can be big things, and that can be small things. But each of us suffer in different ways. But it's not just that we suffer. This today is not going to be a sermon about suffering and, and how kind of we deal with that with God. But it's not just that we suffer. Our relationships suffer. The people in our lives go through difficult times. You have friends probably this week, or a spouse, or your kids, or somebody around you this week was suffering in some way. Somebody around you came to you and said, man, life is just hard. My job is hard, or I feel lonely, or my toy broke, or something, right? I mean, some sort of suffering, and it can be small things, and it can be big things. You might have friends that are going through divorce, or you might have friends that um, are kind of dealing with some of the emotional pain of abuse that has happened in their lives. Or you may have friends that are struggling with being new parents. I mean, many times we have a church filled with, with babies, um, and I'm not like making fun of you. I'm not saying your babies. We have a church filled with new babies and new moms. And a lot of times that is super, super hard. And the ability to say, man, this is just difficult happens a lot that I, I get to hear that from, from people many times. So you, my, my point is this. You have people in your life probably this week or definitely last few weeks that have said, man, life is just hard. Like there's stuff that I'm going through. And again, big things, small things, maybe even on a daily basis that you encounter. And, and a lot of times, and you may have felt this, and the people around you have felt this. A lot of times, one of our complaints in some of the relationships that we're in is, man, people didn't love me well when I was suffering. Uh, you weren't there for me, or, or you said really mean things to me. And we might not actually say this to them, but, but we, and we might, but we just feel it. And I had a really hard day, and, and you didn't seem to care at all. Uh, you come home and you say, man, this day was really difficult for me and nobody seemed to even care. No, nobody, I, I had a, someone close to me that, that died and no one even seemed to notice. No one even seemed, they just wanted me to get over or, or whatever it might be. A, a lot of times we have complaints that the people around us, they're not loving us well. They're not, they're not there for us when we're suffering. But well, this is something we can grow in. It's something that we can learn to say, what if we had a skill? I mean, even just think in your, your life. What if you grew in the skill of being able to be there for those that are suffering? What if you grew in the skill of when your kids are suffering, you were able to help them in a better way? What if you grew in the skill of when your spouse had a hard day or something is really hard for them or something is difficult, you were able to grow in the skill of loving people that are suffering? What if you were able to do that in your community group and with your friends and you said, it's not that I can wipe away suffering, but I, I'm able in a better way to love those that are suffering, to help those that are suffering. So that's what we're talking about today is how do we really help those that are suffering? How can we grow in this skill? 
And to start with, I want to just ask this question is, what should we do when people around us are suffering? Or or another way to think about this is just, what's our role? You've got people that are suffering. What should we do? What is our role in that situation? And what what should kind of guide us? We'll talk about some really practical things, but what should be the overarching kind of compass that guides us as we look at, man, there's people that are suffering. What's our role? What do we do? And I want to start by answering that question with talking about how God feels about your suffering. Talk about how God feels about his people's suffering. See, the Bible says that all of us are going to suffer in different ways. And if you're a Christian, that God feels certain things about you, certain things for you in the middle of your suffering. There's a story in the Bible about a man named Paul, and some of you know who Paul is, but he was an early Christian leader, an early church leader. But before that, before that, he was a religious leader. He was a Pharisee that had his mind and his heart set on ending Christianity, that he wanted to wipe it out, that he wanted Christians to be murdered. He wanted them to be put in jail, and he was on a mission. He was going to do that. He was on his way on the road to Damascus to see Christians persecuted, to see them put in jail, to see them put away, to see them even murdered. So this is what he was about to do. And as he's on this road to persecute Christians, all of a sudden he sees this blinding light. He falls to the ground and he hears a voice, God, Jesus, speaking to him. And here's what Jesus said, which really reveals to us God's heart for us, for you in the middle of suffering. Here's what Here's what happens. It says, falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, I said his name was Paul, but his name later changed. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now, this is a really interesting thing that just gives us a window into how God feels about us in the middle of suffering. See, Paul is on his way to imprison Christians and to kill Christians, to persecute Christians. But Jesus says, you are doing that to me. You are doing this to me. You are persecuting me. Now here's what this means. This means that God looks at our suffering. And if you are one of his children, if you're one of his kids, God so deeply identifies with us that he says, your suffering is my suffering. Your persecution is my persecution. I so deeply identify with my people that what you feel, I feel. That what you care about, I care about. That your pain is my pain. That your suffering is my suffering. See, Jesus doesn't show up to Paul and say, why are you persecuting my people? He could have said that. Why are you persecuting my children? He doesn't. He says, why are you doing it to me? See, Jesus so deeply identifies with your pain with what you're going through, with your hurt, that he says, it's mine. That loneliness is mine. That fear is mine. That sickness is mine. That, that anxiety that you are, that's mine. Jesus says, I so deeply identify with my people that I call it my pain. And the Bible says this in many different ways, in many different places. But here's what this means then. If this is how God feels about us in our suffering, you know what that means? It means God wants something for you in the middle of your suffering. God wants something for you 
in whatever, and, and look, I, I told you this isn't going to be a sermon on your suffering, but, but I just want you to, to, to begin at this place. But whatever you are going through right now, God wants something for you in the middle of your suffering. And if I were to ask you, what do you think God wants for you in the middle of your suffering? We could probably get a variety of answers all over, but a lot of times we might think, yeah, I know God wants me to learn something in the middle of my suffering. And that might be true. Or you might think, man, I know God wants something for me in the middle of my suffering. God, God wants me to grow. He wants to use this experience, this trial, this, this hardship. He wants to use it to grow me, to change me. And that's true. Or maybe it's God wants me to trust him, in the, and that's true. But you know what the Bible says in the middle of your suffering that God wants for you to experience? In the middle of your suffering, what he wants you to be surrounded in and enveloped in, it's comfort. Here's, here's what Paul says in his letter to the church in Corinth. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Just before we read on, let me, do you think about God that way? He is the God of all comfort. I mean, we probably don't have a hard time thinking about God as a God of mercy or a God of grace or a God of love, but do you think about God as the God of all comfort? Paul says, who comforts us in all our affliction. This is what God wants for us. He wants to comfort. He is the God of comfort, and he wants to comfort us in all. All of our affliction. Not, well, I'm kind of, I'm kind of, uh, you know, I don't, this is not that big of a deal. I don't want to bring this to God. This isn't that, I don't want to bother him with this. Or, you know, so many other people have it worse than I have it. Or, you know, I, you know I, I've had such a good life. This is such a small thing. But in all our affliction. Paul doesn't say in some of the affliction. He doesn't say in the big affliction. He doesn't say in the affliction that makes headlines. Or he says, in all of your affliction. God is the God of comfort and what God wants for you in the middle, not later, not after, not just learn something and in the middle of it. God says, I want you to have comfort so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now, let's take this word because this is going to be really the guiding principle that we look at is comfort. See, God says, I so deeply identify with you that what I want for you is comfort. Well, what do you think of when you think of comfort? What do you think of when you think of comfort? And if you were just to kind of go to Google Images and search some of the kind of classic things that we use for comfort, there's comfort food, right, that we think about. Sorry if some of you are hungry and skip breakfast. Think about comfort food, and you get this image of uh, it's just kind of smothered, right? It's just smothered in cheese, and there's nothing low-fat about this. This is full fat, or as one of my friends says, full chub. This is all of it, right? This is just covered in, enveloped in, surrounded in, in something. Or this is comfort food also. And uh, if you can't see, I'm, I'm kind of close. This is, I, I didn't even know this existed. This is a pot pie with a, a waffle fry top crust. Which, isn't that amazing? Someone needs to make that for me, please. Gluten-free. Um, and I'm available Tuesday. <laughs> But this is amazing, isn't it? I mean, the same thing. It's smothered. It's covered. You think about comfort in kind of that idea, right? Or this is just coming up when you type in comfort. And this is just like a, I mean, you're just like, I don't even, <laughs> I, it, you're just surrounded in something, cushioning every part of your body. Every part of your body is being covered and smothered. Or what do we call this? This is called a comforter, right? Or a day off work, right? <laughs> you can, I don't know what you call it, but it's called a comforter. 
This is just, it's saying, it's cushy, it's enveloping, it's, it's all over me. It's, it's something that I'm just kind of, um, just finding myself totally encased in. Or this comes up with comfort. This is a bubble bath, right? And you're enveloped again, you're covered in, in bubbles and candles and light and toes. And <laughs> or, you know, some of you like to camp. I love camping. And you might not think camping is very comfortable, but this is the way I like to camp. It's more like this. Um, and it's, it's, I saw this. It's like comfortable camping. And this is a bit of an exaggeration because I don't have a rug or a desk when I camp, but this is close, you know. You want it to be very comfortable. Or perhaps the biggest, um, most obvious example of comfort and one of the most brilliant inventions or even ideas in our lifetime, our generation, is the Snuggie. And again, comfort, right? You are totally covered in something, and you can, the whole family can as well be totally enveloped. I love the dog, you know? I don't know if they actually make dog Snuggies. I'm sure they do, or if this is just a, you know, a cutout or something. But that's what we think of when we think of comfort, right? You are enveloped in. You are surrounded in. You are encased in. You are totally immersed in something. Now, let's go back to God. God says, that's what he wants for you. God says, in the middle of your suffering, he, want, he, he says, I am the God of all comfort. I'm the snuggy God. I am the casserole God. I, God says, I, look, I am the God of all comfort. I'm the God of all comfort. And what I want for you in the middle of your suffering is comfort. What I want for you in the middle of all of your affliction is comfort that I so I deeply identify with you, I say it's my pain, and therefore what I want for you is comfort. But back to our question. What does that mean that we should do when people around us are in suffering? What is our guide? What is our role? We'll see the way that God gives it. We looked at this, but the way God gives it is through us. God wants you to experience comfort, but the way that he gives that, the strategy that he uses for that is God comforts us in all our afflictions so that we then may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Not some, not only the ones that we identify with, not only the ones that we've been through, not only the ones that we naturally get, but that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You see, what is our role? What should we do when people around us are suffering? What Paul says, what God says that he wants for us to be able to do for one another is to let comfort guide us, to let comfort lead us, to say, how can I bring God's comfort to them? How can I bring God's comforting presence, enveloping, surrounding, how can I bring that comfort to those people around me? How can I bring that comfort to my relationships? This is the compass. This is the guide that we need if we want to be able to help those around us that are suffering, to grow in loving those that are suffering. See, all of us are going to suffer differently, right? I mean, some of you have probably not suffered that much in your life, and some of you, man, it seems like life is just one series of suffering after the other. But all of us will suffer, and it's all going to be different. But though our suffering is different, our need is the same. What we need in the middle of our suffering, what God wants for us in the middle of our suffering, is comfort. 
He wants us to know him as the God of all comfort through one another. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about those in your life that are suffering right now. And again, don't just think the big thing. I mean, think about those in your life that are suffering, that are going through hard days at work, that are experiencing loneliness, that are experiencing physical pain, that are experiencing whatever it might be. Think about those in your life that are suffering. And we say, what do I do? What do I say? How do I help? What can I, I mean, I'll tell you, a lot of times um, when I talk to those that are married, a lot of times, let's say a wife will just go, man, my husband's going through something hard, and I just don't know how to help him. Or a husband will say, man, my wife is just going through something hard. I don't know how to help her. Or, you know, in our church, we've had, we've had a lot of tragedy in our church. And I don't think that's irregular. That's just normal. Uh, people that have experienced miscarriages and infertility and, and death of children and have experienced divorce and adultery and all, I mean, all physical sickness and ca- brain cancer and, I mean, all, all sorts of stuff. And go, how can we be a community that says, well, how do I bring this comfort to people? A lot of times we don't know what to do, right? So what does it look like to give comfort in suffering? How do we actually do that? What does it look like? And you know there's bad ways and good ways, right? Because you've had people in your life that have maybe tried to show up and help in the middle of your suffering, and you felt like, man, they didn't really know what to do. They were kind of made it worse in some way. So, so how, how, do we, how do we grow in this? And think about this again for your, your spouse, your kids, your community group. And I want to give you seven things that I think the Bible teaches that can help us actually practically. We know our role is comfort, but what does it look like to practically, to practically do it? First, it's this. And this is kind of our guiding principle for the practice. It means, it means that in some way, it means in some way you have to take on the suffering of those around you. If we want to be people that give comfort, there's no way to do that without getting your hands dirty in some way. Without saying, you are suffering. If I want to bring you comfort, I can't do it from a distance. If you are suffering in some way, your suffering becomes my suffering. If I want to bring comfort, which is what our, we're called to, this is what our role is, if we want to bring comfort into people's lives when they're suffering, the only way to do that is in some way to say, I will suffer with you. I will experience some of your suffering as my suffering. I will take on some of it. I will let you be enveloped in comfort, and in some way I get enveloped in your suffering. That's the, only, that's the only way to do it. And it's important to start with this because a lot of times that's what actually keeps us at a heart level from entering into it. It's important to start with this because a lot of times that's the very thing that we say, well, I kind of want to help them, but I don't know if I have the emotional bandwidth to do that. I don't know if I have the time to do that. I don't, I don't know if, I, I, don't know if I, I, I want to spend the time thinking through how can I help them. How, it's daunting. It's taxing. It's overwhelming. But if we want to help people in their suffering, if we want to bring comfort, the very first thing, the very first thing is in some way their suffering has to become ours. Here's here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. He says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. 
One member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, Paul has used this image of the body of Christ in saying that the church is the body of Christ. We're all different members, ears and feet and nose and hands, and we're all different members. And if one member suffers, all suffer together because it's intimately connected. It's deeply, intricately connected. You see, if you suffer, I suffer. And that's the very beginning of saying, how do we bring comfort, is to say, in some way, it becomes mine. Now look, if you're a parent, you know this with your kids. If, if, they're, if, they're, if they're in the corner crying and, you know, bleeding because they fell down, you know, or something, you don't go, man, that seems like a personal problem. You say, oh, my baby, you know, and you go, oh, and it becomes your, your heart hurts for them. And the same thing if, if you're married, you have a spouse, and they're going through something. You don't just go, man, I wish you had, I hope, I hope someone will care for you in the middle of this. You say, in some, I'm feeling this too, right? And the more close we are, the more we feel that. But, but Paul says, the body of Christ, the church, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one person is experiencing pain, one person is experiencing difficulty, we all experience that, or we all are to experience that. So it's important to start with this because this means that it will cost you. And if that is what leads you to avoid it, you've already started on the wrong foot. To say, but okay, they're suffering, but I don't want it to be mine in any way. Paul says, no, we all suffer together. That's the first thing. Second thing is just that we, we're there, our presence. We show up. I love how Paul says this again, a man that experienced a lot of suffering. He says, when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. Think about that, that externally there's stuff going wrong, right? Fighting without, there's all these problems happening out here and fear within. Saying I'm emotionally tired, I'm physically tired, stuff around me is breaking, internally I'm breaking, what do I need? He says, but God who comforts the downcast, remember that's who God is, comforted us by the coming of Titus. He says, you know what I needed? I needed a Titus. I just needed a friend. I needed someone to be there. I'm going through all sorts of stuff out here and in here, and you know what I need? I just need somebody to show up. I just need somebody to be present. I, I need someone, I need some comfort by somebody being there. Now, look, sometimes we go, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. So I've got somebody that's hurting. I've got somebody that's, that's experiencing something difficult. I don't know what to say. That's okay. But you can just be there. You can just, and look, you know this if you've suffered, that one of the main things that you just want is someone to be there. They, they don't necessarily have to say something. They don't have to have all the right answers. It's just, can you just come over? Now, think about this. Think about this again in your relationships. I mean, I want to try to help you practically think about what this means. Maybe it means you know someone's having a hard time at work, and so if it's appropriate, you show up at work and say, hey, can I take you to lunch? I I know, man, I know work's really hard for you. Can can we just grab lunch today so at least I'm just here with you? I don't don't know what to say. I just want to be here with you. Uh, Maybe it means you know someone's going through something hard in your home, and so you just go towards them. I don't know what to say, but can can I just sit with you? Can I just sit next to you? It's just, it's just presence. You walk into the room. You go visit at work. You go to the hospital. You sit next to 
the person. You might not know what to say, but just saying, I'm going, I just want to comfort you by my presence. I just want to be there for you. So first, we say some of it's going to be mine. Second is we just show up. We come with our presence, not necessarily trying to figure out the right things to say, but just to be there. And then third, we pray. Look how Paul says this again, same letter. He says, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. He's saying, look, there's going to be a lot of people that are able to say, thank you, God, that you helped that person because a lot of people are going to pray. And he says, one of the ways that you can help me, and Paul's talking about in this letter, the difficulty that he's facing, the difficulty, the hardship, the the fighting without and the fear within. And, And he says, one of the ways that you can just help me is just pray for me. Now, we know that, right? If, you, if you're a Christian and you're, you're here in church, you, you don't think, oh, I'm not supposed to pray for people, you know. But one of the ways that we are supposed to comfort each other is to pray for one another. And there's a few ways that we can even grow in praying for one another. One of them is just to pray for the person right there. Don't just say, hey, I will pray for you. Because a lot of times you're not going to, right? How many times have you told someone, I'm going to pray for you, and then... They said, hey, they, they come back to you and they're like, I, I just thank you so much. I know you were praying for me. Everything worked out. And you're like, oh, God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I am a big liar, you know. But pray for them right there. Just right there on the spot, you know. Say, hey, you, you need a prayer? Can I pray for you right now? And, and you pray for specific things. Pray for, don't just pray, God, I just pray that you would, you know, I don't know, do a God thing, but, but pray for the specific things that, that are in their heart, that they're, that they're scared of, that they're struggling with, that they're worried about, that they're experiencing. Pray for specific things. And then if you are going to pray for them, not in that moment, text them. Tell them. Tell them what you're praying for. Say, hey, I, I just want you to know, not, don't just say, hey, I just want you to know I was praying for you, but say, hey, I, I'm praying today that as you go to work, that you, will, that you will be able to, instead of a, just a crappy day, I'm just praying that God allows your heart to feel joy. Or I'm, I'm just praying that you would know that God's with you in the middle of this. Or I'm praying, whatever it is that you are praying for them, text them and tell them what you're praying for them. This helps. So we, we pray for one another. I know, it's, I know it's simple. I know it's something we know we are to do. But this is one of the things that Paul even says, help me by your prayer. Help me by your prayer. And then, touch. And this, this is not directly related to suffering, but I, but I want to read this. Paul says, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Now, in five different letters, so five different books of the New Testament that Paul writes, he tells them to kiss each other. So I want you to turn to the person next. No, I'm just kidding. Um, a holy kiss, not, you know, a holy one. Um, but here, here's what this means. Five, I mean, think about five different times that he says that. What is that saying? It's, and again, this is not about suffering, but, but it's about creating a culture of love. It is about creating a community of affection. It is about creating a... There is, you know this, I mean, there's something about, and not just romantically, something about touch that he's talking about here. That is, this is what a loving community looks like. So, of course, that extends to suffering. It is actually amazing if you read through the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, the books of the Bible, to tell the story of Jesus' life. If you read through those books, when Jesus heals people, so often he touches them. 
He doesn't have to do that. It's not that there's power in, in just touch of, of only if he touches someone, they can be healed. Because there's times that Jesus says, hey, go home and your daughter will be healed. So, so Jesus can heal people with just a word. Jesus can heal people with, with a snap of the fingers if he wants to. But so many times he touches the eyes of the blind. He touches those with skin disease. He touches the little girl that is sick and says, give her something to eat. He touches. He's always touching people because there is something about touch, something about the physical affection that says, in the middle of your suffering, in the middle of your suffering, I am connected to you. So what does that mean? It means those that are suffering, touch them in some way. Again, where appropriate. I'm not saying to be inappropriate, but in some way, that might be a hug. That might be a hand on the shoulder. That might be, that might be a, a, a holding their hand. That might be, hey, I just want to sit next to you and just hold you for a little bit. I'm not saying you do that to your friend, you know, or you say, I just want to hold you. You know, they might say, could you step away from me? This is not a holy kiss, you know. I don't feel comforted. I feel very uncomfortable right now, you know. But if, if, you, if you show touch, if you give, give affection to people, again, in appropriate ways, a, a, I mean, whatever it is, but I want you to think about that, especially for those of you that are more maybe introverted or like your space or um, in some way are, are like that, to go, how can I maybe even push myself a little bit? And, and look, it can just be this. It doesn't have to be, any, you know, it can, sometimes when we, when I, we, at dinner we pray, um, we always pray at dinner, but we, we, we will hold hands, but sometimes I think, I don't know if it's a joke or they're mad, but they'll just give like one finger, you know? <laughs> like, so maybe you can do that, you know? You're, you're it's just like, I'm just going to touch you, you know? Just something, okay? But something that shows I'm, I'm giving you physical affection, that one of the ways I want to comfort you in the middle of your suffering is to show you I'm with you. Next is that we weep with each other. We cry with each other. Now, this is really important because I think especially in Christian circles, especially in the church, sometimes we think, here's my job. What I need to do is to make them feel better. What I need to do is make them just feel okay. A lot of times that is what our posture is. But, but you know what happens? If, if we say, hey, my friend is suffering, my husband's suffering, my wife is suffering, my kids are suffering, my community group, someone there is suffering, and we say, they're going through something hard, you know what I need to do? I need to make them feel better. A lot of times that feels like you are judging them. It feels like you are robbing them and taking something away that's rightfully theirs. Here's how Proverbs says it. Proverbs says, whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold, on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. He says, look, if you show up and someone's got a heavy heart and you're just like, God is good, everybody, that they're going to be like, back off. You are vinegar to me right now. And I'm soda, you know. Or it feels like you are ripping something away from me that, I is, that is actually in some way my sorrow is my comfort. In some way. And I, I'm not talking about self-pity and I'm not talking about wallowing in despair. or any, But there is something about a cheerful word and a positive outlook that is theft to the person that is suffering. And so often, I do think in Christian circles, we blow this because we think what I'm supposed to do is cheer you up. What I'm supposed to do is just make you feel everything is okay. And so we even say different things to this 
extent. We say things like, hey, it's all going to work out. Maybe it's not going to work out. And even if it is going to work out, that might not be the word in that moment. Or, or we say things to the effect of, hey, it, God, God is going to make it okay. I mean, I know people that have struggled with infertility and have not been able to have biological children that have been told, God will give you a child. And they're saying that in a kind way to try to be kind, but, but what it is doing is promising something that God's going to do that is, you don't even know if it's true. And so it's something to supposedly uplift, uplift, uplift the spirits that is not really, but is actually feeling more like soda on vinegar. Or sometimes we just do this by trying to fix it. Sometimes we enter in trying to fix it and say, um, well, hey, have you tried this, or have you tried this, or have you tried this, or what about this, or hey, I know somebody that went through that, and this is what they did. And all of that is coming in to try to say, oh, let's make it okay. Let's get rid of the sadness. Let's get rid of the problem. Let's just get rid of it. Maybe even, hey, it could be worse. So what if it could be worse? Every, anything could be worse. You could have been abducted by aliens last night and eaten alive, you know, but that, that probably didn't happen. You know, but I mean, and sometimes we take that posture that somebody get something is wrong. With, well, you know, at least you don't have at least you don't have this disease. I had a friend that went through this, and it turned out that they couldn't walk for three. I mean, it's like okay, well, it could always be worse. But that's not that's not a comforting thing. Instead, what the Bible says is rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. Don't don't sing songs to a heavy heart. Don't tell the heavy heart it's all going to be okay and everything's going to be fine. It could be worse. And Weep. Don't try to make them feel better. You need to feel worse. I mean, really, though. If our posture is somebody is suffering, you know what I need to do? I need to just make them happy. No. You need to cry with them. You need to tell them, this is awful. This sucks. This must be heartbreaking. And not just for you, it's heartbreaking for me. Because it's your, if one suffers, all suffer together. That your heart, if your heart doesn't weep with those who weep, something's wrong with your heart. If your heart doesn't weep with those who weep, you don't love them. Because if it was your pain, you would be weeping. You see, if one member suffers, we all suffer together, which means that you rejoice with those who are rejoicing. And when those are suffering and they're weeping, you don't just try to make them feel okay. You go, I'm sorry. My heart is heavy for you and with you. And you weep with those who weep. You cry with those who cry. And we serve each other. We talked about this a lot last week in terms of practical needs and when people have you know, resource needs and things like that. But in the middle of suffering, we need to serve each other as well. And oftentimes, oftentimes we think it is spiritual to say, especially in the middle of our suffering, all I need is God. A lot of times, if the, the more Christian-y you are, the more you think, all I need is God. All I need is Jesus. He's all I need. No, he is not. No, he's not. He's not all you need. I mean, you need food, right? And obviously, in some sort of sense, he's all you need in the sense of, yes, if you die today, then 
for me to live as Christ and to die as gain? Yes. But the Bible over and over and over and over again says you need more than God. In the middle of your, in the middle of your suffering, you need people to serve you. You need people to be present with you. You need people that are going to practically help you. Look, this is, what, this is what Paul says. He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That if people have burdens, if they're suffering and things are hard for them and they feel loaded down and weighted, he doesn't say, pray. Yes, we are to pray. That is one of the things. But also, you need people to help you. Or I love how Paul says it this way. This is when Paul's in jail. And he is suffering, and he know, this is the last letter he writes. He knows he's about to die. He knows he's about to die, and he doesn't just say, everybody pray for me. You know what he says? Do your best to come to me soon. He says this multiple times. He says, do your best to come to me soon. I need you. And then look, when you come, bring the cloak. That's like a blanket. Paul says, I need my blanket. Kind of a kindergartner for a second. He's just like, I need my blanket that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. He's a pastor, so he's like, give me the books. I need my books, and I need my blanket. <laughs> I mean, that's what, he doesn't, look, he could be super, this is Paul, he's written a bunch of the Bible, he could be super spiritual and just say, I don't need anything, I have Jesus. But he doesn't, he says, I need my books, I need my blanket, and I need a friend. What that means is part of the way that we bring comfort to people in suffering is that we think about what do they need? How can I actually practically help them? How can I help bear their load? You know, I was thinking about this. When I was first working on this sermon, uh, someone that I knew back in Seattle, uh, their wife for several years was battling cancer, and it was kind of a public thing a lot of people knew about. And while I was working on this, she died. And he posted on Facebook, he posted, hey, she's gone to be with Jesus. And, and he got, I don't know, 200, 300 comments of, we're praying for you, we're praying for you, we're praying for you, this is so sad, we're praying for you. And that's great. I'm not saying that any of that was bad. But I just had this thought because I was working on this. I was like, what if, what if instead of 300 Facebook comments of we're praying for you, 300 people signed up to bring him a meal? Or 300 people. And, and, you know, I'm sure a lot of that stuff happened, but I'm just saying a lot of times we kind of, over-spiritualize how we help those in suffering. Instead of saying, hey, let me do this for you. Let me, do you need a blanket? You know, do, you, do you need me to come? Do you need me to, can I, can I clean something for you? Can I take your dog? Can I? And a lot of times we think about that with the practical thing. Someone says, hey, I need help, like what we talked about last week. Hey, I need help moving. Will someone come help me? But in suffering, since there isn't necessarily an immediate practical need, we don't necessarily think about it. But one of the ways that we comfort those in suffering is to tangibly show up and find ways that we can help. And then, sometimes, we need to laugh with people. Proverbs says this, A joyful heart is good medicine. The crushed spirit dries up the bones. A joyful heart is good medicine. Sometimes what people need is not necessarily a good night's rest or, or medication or... Sometimes they just need to laugh. They just need you to show up and, and have fun. And let me tell you this. A lot of times when people are suffering, and I, you know, I know this just in my own life, but just walking with so many people through suffering and seeing kind of how it plays out in the life of the church, that a lot of times when people are suffering, they don't want that to become their identity. They don't want you to just go, so how's the loneliness going? 
every time you see them or, you know, just go, so the layoff, you know, every time, how's it been? And that's all you talk about. And I know it's kind of funny, but that's a lot of times when someone is struggling with something, we can view, and a lot of times, I know it's from a good heart. We love them, and so we don't want to not talk about it, but it's, we basically view them as you're the one with cancer. You're the one whose who's, uh, spouse died. You're the one who was cheated on. You're the one who, and that's the only way we treat them. Instead of, hey, we still invite them to come hang out. We still play with them. We still have fun with them. We still do other things with them. Because people need to laugh, and sometimes that's the best medicine. And people need to still have joy and not just be identified with their suffering. And then last, and I, and I put these in an order. I put these specifically in an order because so often this is the first thing that we do. And it shouldn't necessarily and most often be the first thing we do. We should show up with people. We should say, I'm going to take on your burden. I'm going to be present with you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to cry with you. I'm going to laugh with you. I'm going to serve you. And then, yes, I am going to say some things. But most of the time that shouldn't come first. But words are important for those that are suffering. Proverbs says this, There's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Now look, you know this is true in the middle of suffering. People say things and it can feel like they're cutting you down, even if they're trying to be kind. People say things and it hurts. Words are powerful. Words can be used to hurt people in the middle of their suffering, but words can also be used to bring healing in the middle of suffering. The person that uses their words wisely when someone is suffering, that can be used to bring healing. Or Proverbs says it like this in the same chapter, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. That's suffering, right? Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. A good word, a wise tongue. You see, words are really important. The way we use our words are really important, but they're dangerous also, somebody told me that the first time, the first time that they, they ever uh, told somebody, and it had been many years later, the first time they ever told someone that they were raped, that the response was, God's going to use that so much in your life. Is that true? Absolutely. The Bible says that God will take all of our suffering, that God will use things in our life for good. The worst tragedies that are meant for evil can be used for good. But the appropriate response in that moment isn't that. It's to say, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. Thank you for sharing that with me. Man, my heart breaks for you. Man, that was awful. I bet that was really hard for you to say that. And I don't know, maybe somebody in here, you felt that same thing. Maybe somebody in here, you've been sexually assaulted and you dared to share that with somebody. And you got something similar, and so now you've kept that and haven't told anybody else. And, you know, I wasn't necessarily even planning on saying this, but I, but I just want you to know that's not the way it's supposed to go. And I hope that maybe you would even be able to share that with somebody over time here and that you would experience something different because the tongue can hurt like a sword and the tongue of the wise can bring healing. So often, even in the middle of our suffering, one of the things that we say, because we're Christians and we're trying to be Christian-y, is, what is God teaching you? Really? 
God wants them to experience comfort, not just to experience a lesson. Man, what is God teaching you is a great question a few years later. Hey, what did God teach you through that experience? That's a great question a few years later, but not while somebody's in the middle of their pain, not while somebody's crying, not while somebody's hurting to say, what's the lesson you're learning right now? I mean, nobody wants to hear that. You don't want to hear that. But what we want to experience is words that bring healing, words that remind who God is, words that say, do you know that Jesus is the shepherd that is with you? Do you know that as dark as it gets, God is here for you? Words that even sometimes share some of our experience, not of how we solved it and conquered it and, you know, we're awesome, but words that say, man, when my heart was broken like that, one of the things that helped me was remembering that Jesus wept with me. It is okay to share your experience and how God has met you in the middle of your suffering, how God has comforted you in the middle of your suffering. See, the tongue of the wise brings healing, but reckless words are like sword thrusts. So we use words, but we use words like, you're on my heart. I love you. I'm sorry. This is hard. One of, one of the best texts I ever got, and excuse my language, but it was, it was my wife and I struggling, our first miscarriage that we had, and the text just said, damn, I'm so sorry. Another pastor friend of mine. That was all he said. And that was one of the most uplifting words. If he would have said, God works all things for good, I would have said, I hate you. <laughs> and I hope the thing he works for good is that you die. You know? <laughs> but, but I didn't say that. Because he didn't say that. And because I am a Christian. Um, <laughs> but to say, you're on my heart, I love you, this sucks. To say that in written form, in notes, to say it in person. Sometimes we don't know what to say, right? I know that, I get that. But a lot of times, don't say stupid things. You know, I, I, I want to say that it's, it's better to say something than nothing, but I don't want you to say dumb stuff, but I also know sometimes because we don't know what to say, we're just kind of silent, and then people don't even know that you are thinking of them, or that you do care for them, or that you are praying for them, but it's better to say something at least, to say, hey, I, I don't know what to say, but it, you can at least say, but I want you to know I'm thinking about you, and I'm, you're on my heart. You can at least say that. So words, very important, but not the first thing we should do. And, and then l let me say this. This isn't necessarily a, a, a thing or a practice that you do to bring comfort in suffering, but here, here's something you need to do is, is to remember people. To remember, because there's no expiration date on suffering. There's no ex And I'm not saying somebody gets laid off that four years later you say, hey, I remember that one Monday, <laughs> and I'm still here for you. I'm not saying you need to do that. You know, you're like, I'm a millionaire now. I'm good. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying that you need to do that. But especially for things that have, you know have been significantly causes of suffering in someone's life. A death, infertility, miscarriage, divorce, abuse in some way. I mean, I, things that you know, man, this is, I mean, there's, there's different ways to think about this. One is to think, man, suffering doesn't necessarily go away. So we shouldn't try to say, man, I hope that they're just kind of, you're still wrestling with this? This is still hard for you? Absolutely. Uh, our emotional and spiritual wounds and hurts are like our physical ones. I, my wife cut her finger a few years ago, 
and uh, she was knife juggling, and she no, she she cut she cut her, she was cutting something. I don't know, but she cut her finger, and she had to get stitches. And it, for several years, still, and I think still a little bit today, it's still tender. And they said, look, it's just going to always be like that. The nerve endings have been damaged in some way. So if you hit it just right, if it touches just right, it'll still hurt. Now that's true with suffering. Look, my my grandpa who I was close with, but it wasn't like he was a second dad or raised me or anything like that. But I, I still, I, I have on my, I was thinking about this with this, on my phone. On my phone, if you go to my voicemails are, I don't know, 20 voicemails from him that I haven't deleted. Now, I don't listen to them. And I don't cry about my grandpa every day. And it's not, or even that often, or even think about, but, but you know what it just signaled to me? is just, that's still there. There's still a part of me that is hurting from that. So look, and, and honestly, I'm just saying, like that, is, that was significant to me, but that's not the most significant pain or suffering I've felt. I mean, I have way more significant pain and suffering I've felt. But to me, it was like, man, that's just a reminder. Suffering often stays with you. There's no expiration date. So part of what that means for how we give comfort to each other in suffering is not to rush people to be okay. And part of what it means is that we remember. We remember anniversaries. We say, hey, I remember this last year is when this happened. And I'm thinking about you today. And I love you. That, it can be that simple. But we remember significant moments in people's lives that are close to us. Now, that's what we do. All of that can seem really hard, right? In some ways, it can even seem like a code. Do I, do I weep with them? Do I laugh with them? Do I say something? Do I just show up and sit next to them? Do I kiss them? Do I, what, what, do I, what do I do? You know, It can seem kind of hard to figure out. And it is. I'm not saying it is easy. But this is what it looks like to grow in the skill. To grow in the skill of being a comfort to those that are suffering. This is what it looks like. This is how we do this. And again, think about your relationships. M maybe you're not going to do all of these things tomorrow. But if you grew in these, don't you think your relationships would be healthier? Don't you think you would be able to more love those that are suffering? It also means this. For those of you that are suffering, for those of you that are suffering, nobody can do this for you if you're not in relationship with them. Nobody can do this for you if they don't know you. If you, listen to me, if you're in here right now and everything I described, you go, that would be nice. But I'm suffering right now and no one's doing that to me. I, all I can say is you need people in your life. Now, the church can't, if one member suffers, they all suffer together. But in order to do that, you must be connected to God's body to be a member of the body so you are experiencing that and other people are experiencing it with you. See, so often people suffer and then say, I need to get community. But what we need is community today if everything is going great. That way, you are able to experience God's comfort through others in the middle of what you are going through. I want that for you. I want that for you. you listen to me. I hate to say this, but every time I say this, it happens. And not because I'm a prophet, it's just because it's life. You will suffer. And suffering most often is surprising. You don't say, I think I'm going to suffer on Thursday. 
better, better build up my relational network. It's going to come. And you won't be ready for it. But the way you get ready for it now is by immersing yourself in a community that loves you and cares for you and that this is a value in the community that we bring comfort to those that are suffering. And I want that for you. I don't want you to suffer by yourself. I don't want you to suffer alone. I don't want you to experience that. So this, that's just my appeal to you to say, Get in a community group and get in relationship with people. And if you are, share with people. People can't love you in the middle of your suffering if you don't say, this is really hard. I was just, I was just in a meeting a, couple, a few weeks ago, and one pastor said to another pastor who was like his mentor and said, this was the hardest year of my life. And the other pastor goes, I didn't know that. And he goes, you never asked. And then it was really awkward. Um, <laughs> and I was like, well, that's, yeah, that's not good. But you, you've got to share, though, also. You've got to not just say, you never asked. You've also got to say, this is hard. So that people can comfort you. So that, I mean, look, look, we looked at Paul, right? And he says, I need you to come here. I need you. Come to me soon. I need a blanket. I need books. I need you to help me by prayer. I need your presence. I need you. We've got to say that. We've got to say that. Otherwise can't expect that necessarily we're going to be loved in the middle of our suffering and experience the comfort that we want in the middle of our suffering. And maybe one of the reasons that you left church, maybe you're just kind of now coming back and checking stuff out, is because you went through something hard and people weren't there for you. And maybe one of the reasons that you're not sure about the whole God, church, Christianity thing is because of suffering you've gone through. But can I tell you, this is what God wants for you to experience. God doesn't want to just say, cheer up. He wants you to be enveloped, surrounded in comfort, in his love, in his grace. Last thing is this, quickly, is how, how can we give this? Because it's hard. It's hard. And a lot of times we don't have the wisdom to do it. And if we're honest, we don't have the heart to do it. I know I, I feel this way sometimes, like, man, the people around me suffering, I don't whether it's a self-righteousness of, come on, just get over it, or a, or a feeling of like, okay, it's not that. I'm like, man, it's, sometimes we don't have the wisdom. We don't have the heart. How, what, what can change us to actually give this? And Paul said it. He said that we comfort others with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You see what that means? If you want to be able to give comfort with wisdom, if you want to be able to give comfort with a heart that is able to do it, you've got to receive comfort from God. If you want to give it, you've got to receive it from God so you're able to give it. If you want to let other people be comforted through you, first, you must be receiving the comfort from God. And you know what the Bible says? What, what do we say? Here's the core of what it means to, to give comfort to people. It means some of somebody's suffering comes on you. You can't comfort others if you, some of their suffering hasn't come on you first. You know what the Bible says of God? You know what it says of Jesus? It says this, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Not from a distance, he bore them. He carried our griefs and our sorrows and we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. That, that's to say, we kind of didn't even, we didn't really trust him. 
We, we didn't even think he was who he said he was. We, didn't, we, we esteemed him stricken. We thought, it's saying when Jesus came to this earth, the people said, you're not who you say you are. When, people came to this, when Jesus came to this earth, the people said, God's, God's left you, God's abandoned you. But in grace and in mercy, Jesus says, even though, even though you reject me, I want to bear your suffering. Even though you turn against me, I want to take on, to carry your grief and your sorrow. See, if you want to comfort others, you've got to be, receive comfort first from him. And we do that by looking at him. When we take communion, we even remember that he suffered for us. His body broken and his blood shed. Why? Because he wanted to bear our suffering to the point of death. To carry our grief to the point of death. You see, when you come to him, and you, you say, Jesus, this is what you did for me. You took my suffering. You've been present with me. You've wept with me. The Bible even says Jesus prays for us. And in his presence is joy and all of the things that it means to comfort. The Bible says Jesus is the one that has proven that he gives you comfort. And he wants your comfort. And he died to take your suffering that you may experience the comfort of his presence, the comfort of his family. So receive comfort from him. Even as you take communion now, I want you to reflect on and think of a God that would suffer for us, take on our suffering, that we may have comfort. We can't get rid of suffering, but we can be enveloped in his comfort. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this truth that you are the father of mercies, as Paul said, and the God of all comfort. You are the Father of mercies. We don't need to deserve your care for us in the middle of our suffering. You willingly took on our sin. You willingly took on our pain so that we could have comfort. You are the Father of mercies and the God of all enveloping, surrounding comfort. I pray you would help us to grow as a community that, that receives comfort from you and gives it to each other. In your name, Jesus.